Today's scripture is from Luke 2:22 to 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ City. It is good to be gathered together today and to hear God's word. If uh, you don't know who I am, my name is Dave. I am the associate pastor here at Christ City South Van, and it's my joy to bring you uh, God's word this morning. Well, I hope you have all had a great Christmas. Now, many of you here uh, were here this past week for the Christmas Eve uh, services. Uh, many of you probably enjoyed that, like the, the fire and, and the singing, and it was great. It was great. Um, and it was an excellent time to uh, worship together and to celebrate Jesus, who's come to be with us, Incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, likely for a number of us this week, uh, we've had some travel. Uh, and some family, and some food, and some happiness. But for other, others of us, this week has kind of represented maybe some loneliness, and grief, and, and even reminders of loss. And perhaps you're like me, uh, visiting with family is both wonderful, but it also has exposed some old sin, uh, some dormant emotions, maybe some bad attitudes, and even bad eating habits. Now, we've had Christmas, and it's been wonderful, right? It's a powerful celebration of the coming of God to dwell with us as an infant, lowly, born in a manger. And we put so much effort into experiencing Christmas for us and our family. So much effort. I know some of you have put so much effort. 
And now many of us are a little bit spiritually exhausted. What now? What now? As we enter back in to breaking our New Year's resolutions, as we go into the new year, as we go to schoolwork, regular work, routines, just the everyday, what now for our Christian lives? Well, let me pray for us as we come to our text today. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will help us to rejoice in the reality that Jesus has been born, our Savior, Christ the Lord. Help us to understand what it looks like to have faith in the everyday ordinary. Help us to know uh, the goodness of your salvation. And help us to have transformed expectations of who you are and what you will do in our very ordinary but beautiful lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today, our biblical text has some correlation to our current lives. We find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke right after the brilliant excitement of the birth narrative of Jesus. We find ourselves in this orderly account of Luke, and Luke is very deeply concerned that we, like the original readers, would experience the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And here we're being exposed to eyewitness accounts of the saving work of Jesus and the promises of God being met in Jesus. Our passage is just after Jesus is named. Remember, Jesus, God saves, right? And just after Jesus is circumcised according to the law, right? In Luke 2, 22 to 40, we're given this glimpse after the excitement of Christmas. <laughs> after this excitement. What now? Well, I want to encourage you with this sort of odd section of Luke. And I want one of the key ideas for us today to be uh, that in the midst of the ordinary, or seemingly ordinary, we have the extraordinary revelation of Jesus Christ. We get to observe Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna as they encounter Jesus. And we get to see Jesus more clearly for who he is. And I would suggest that our passage shows us that ordinary faith is beautiful to God. Ordinary faith is beautiful to God. That faithfulness over time and through the ordinary practice of the Christian life is good. That faith in the ordinary is actually the Christian life. Not every day can be Christmas, right? It's pleasing to God. And it does fulfill our longing and waiting on Jesus. Here's what I'd like to look at today in our passage. First, we're going to look at what does ordinary faith look like? What does this faith in the ordinary look like? Secondly, we're going to look at what's the substance of this faith? What, what, is, what is this faith based upon? And we're going to look at the substance of salvation. And thirdly, we're going to look at how does this sort of living the Christian life, this sort of expecting and waiting on things in our lives, how does this practice of waiting, and particularly God-centered waiting, transform us? So first, we're going to look at faith in an ordinary life. Faith in the ordinary Christian life. What does that look like? Well, first, we start here with Mary and Joseph. The passage comes, as I said, after Jesus' naming and circumcision. We find them in Jerusalem on the temple grounds. 
Let's look again at verses 22 to 24. If you have Bibles, you can open them up and we can read along or you can read behind here the scripture. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what you aren't seeing here are a whole lot of angels or shepherds or wise men, right? I, I, don't, I don't sort of see them here in this passage. If you were to observe on that day, what you would see is as a woman, a mom in her youth, you'd see a man in probably his prime doing this sort of unremarkable activity because there's all sorts of hustling and bustling going about in the temple. You, you probably wouldn't even really have noticed them. Maybe, but, but maybe not. What you see here is a family practicing faithfulness. Now, there are three different acts of obedience and worship blended into this, these few sentences. You've got the purification of Mary. So after uh, giving birth, the practice was to bring uh, a sacrifice to the temple. You have Jesus' parents presenting their son to God. And this further uh, dedication of Jesus to the Lord set apart and holy. So you have these three kind of practices. Do you notice, this is a faithfulness as a family. Luke seems to be purposely uniting these acts of faithfulness. He's kind of blending them all together. They're doing these things. They are obeying and serving God together. And we need this witness of an ordinary but faithful family to show us what faithfulness, dedicating lives, their lives to the Lord, dedicating their son to the Lord and not to the world. A dedicating to the Lord and not to the world. Now, I have, I have some dear friends who have some older teen kids, and I've had the privilege over the last years to, to watch these kids grow up, this family grow up. And over this last decade, I've watched them dedicate their family their kids, their marriage to the Lord and not to the world. And instead of sacrificing turtle doves, I suppose, they humbly sacrificed their time. They sacrificed in their care for other families, maybe driving friends or their kids' friends to church and to youth, inviting non-Christian friends into their lives, not just once or a few times, but persistently and faithfully. If you would look at them, you probably wouldn't go, wow, they're spectacular. Their kids aren't like super excelling in every activity. But they've done just fine. In fact, they've loved their activities, whether it's snowboarding or playing video games or field hockey. They have dedicated their lives to the Lord and not to the world. And there's this fruitfulness. There's this fruitfulness as, of following Jesus as a family. And I, I got to watch many kids come to know Jesus through this family because of a simple faith. Because they dedicated their family to the Lord and not to the world. Now I'm telling you this story not to make you feel really guilty or, or shamed. But rather just to remind us that simple faithfulness and obedience dedicating our efforts as best we can to Jesus 
and not the consuming culture, the pressures of success, the desire for making a name for ourselves, whether it's a sport or art or business or school. This is an ordinary, faithful Christian family or individual that you can dedicate yourselves to the Lord and not to the world. And despite great challenges, and in fact, almost because of them, we, we seem to have a bandwidth to actually engage in the mission of Christ to see his salvation come. So in those ordinary days when nothing seems remarkable in life or even in, in church, because yes, yeah, sometimes it's boring in church too, sorry. You can dedicate yourself and your family, your children, your parents, your friends to the Lord and not to this world. That faith in the ordinary is actually the Christian life, isn't it? Isn't that kind of the bulk of our Christian life? And that is pleasing to God. And it's fulfilling of our longing and waiting on Jesus. That's faith in the ordinary life. This faith we see in Joseph and Mary, and now we can focus on Simeon. This has a focus. As we listen to God speak through Simeon, we can discover the substance of this faith, the substance of salvation. Let's, let's look at the text again today. And I'm going to start here in uh, verse, let's go for verse uh, 25. We'll just look at Simeon for a moment. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So here he is meeting Jesus for the first time, right? He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, on first observation, Simeon is described as this, this man, right? And likely not of any importance, but he's obedient and observant. He seems to go to temple. He's like going to church. And he seems to practice and believe what he hears, particularly about God's promises. Now, in the midst of everyday life for Simeon, following God, in this passage, what do we notice about Simeon? Well, he's waiting. And we notice that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work. And he seems to have a beautiful preoccupation with salvation, with the Christ, with the Messiah. Now, here's a quick aside, or an excursus, because we like to use that word around here. As a quick aside... And I wish it could be longer. I didn't want to lead us into belief that uh, living our Christian lives in the ordinary, a life in faith, or, or sort of believing the saving work of Jesus is just something we kind of should do and know. It's just, oh yeah, just do that and know that, go for it. 
it's essential to know, note here the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I just want to, to, to remind us. It's by the Spirit that Simeon waits. It's by the Spirit that Simeon is led to Jesus. And it is by the Spirit that Simeon recognizes Jesus as the promised Messiah. That promised Messiah and comfort. It's like Simeon that we if we've come to trust in Jesus, that we have that same spirit. So if it's by the spirit that Simeon recognizes salvation, it's by that same spirit that we too can come to recognize salvation and follow Jesus. End of excursus. Back to our second section. The substance of salvation. And spoiler alert, it is Jesus who is salvation. Verses 29 to 32 in our passage are this beautiful hymn of joy and worship. Simeon takes up the infant Jesus in his arms, blessed and praised and worshiped God. And much like uh, Zechariah and Mary, earlier chapters of Luke, Simeon is filled with the Spirit and expresses who Jesus is and what he will do. Simeon's joy and peace and assurance is expressed in this beautiful prophetic word. Follow with me in chapter 2, verse 29 and following. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is revealed tangibly, visibly, personally to be the salvation of God. Visibly, tangibly, personally to be the salvation of God. Now, Simeon is depicting himself as this watchman or this sentinel waiting for the promises of God, waiting for the salvation of God. And now, Jesus is that promise. Jesus is that salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This infant with his family on the temple grounds. Wow. And Simeon is basically saying four things about this salvation. I want to briefly touch down on each of those. First, salvation is personally the peace of this servant of God. Secondly, The salvation of Jesus is grounded in the promises of God to his people. Thirdly, the salvation of Jesus is given to all people, every nation, not just Israel. And fourthly, and very importantly, the salvation of Jesus sets our eternity. Those four things, peace, promises for every nation and setting our eternity. Firstly, the salvation of Jesus is personally the peace of this servant of God. Verse 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. When Simeon looks to Jesus, his eyes have seen the very salvation of God. The very fulfillment of the promises of God. Jesus is the consolation, the comfort, the peace, the peace with God that every human being longs for, whether they know it or not. In the everyday ordinary of our lives, we are called to faith 
to know that Jesus is the source of life and peace, to assure us, even in our fears and anxieties. Personally, the peace and servant of the servant of God. Secondly, salvation of Jesus is grounded in the promises of God to his people. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Listen to what this hymn of Simeon is saying to us, that the promises and hopes of God's people, Israel, the fulfillment of all the scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the history, is all met in Jesus. Jesus is the glory of Israel. Jesus is the salvation of God. And the everyday and ordinary, when maybe you aren't feeling it, Search the word of God to discover the extraordinary salvation in your ordinary Christian life. Look for it. Find it in God's word. It's there. Thirdly, the salvation of Jesus is given to all people, every nation, not just Israel. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now here is Jesus as an infant, infant before Simeon. Here he is the salvation prepared by God. Now we can continue to celebrate the joy of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is revealed to all the people, a light, the very revelation of God to all the nations, including Israel. And many of you need to hear this reminder from God's word, whether right here and right now, or perhaps in your workplace, your school, your families, your neighborhood, your sports, your activities with your friends. And some of you aren't yet Christians or wouldn't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. And, and we know many around us who don't yet follow Jesus. Now, Here's a word to you in our everyday ordinary lives. Salvation is available for everyone. Look to Jesus and your eyes are looking on salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And fourthly and quite importantly, the salvation of Jesus sets our eternity. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Our future is set by how we see Jesus. Our future is set by how we see Jesus. This prophetic word points to the reality that Jesus is appointed to be the means of life and death and judgment in eternity. When you set your eyes on Jesus, do you see salvation? Many may see a cute baby in a manger or a teacher in history or some sort of religious icon. Many see Jesus and oppose his salvation. Many who look at Jesus just ignore Jesus as unnecessary. Many may even see Jesus as kind of evil and a source of war and suffering. This passage says, our hearts are revealed and our future is set 
by how we see Jesus. The revelation here is that Jesus and he alone is appointed for the rising and falling. What this is alluding to is that Jesus is appointed for the rising, which is resurrection language. Raised from the dead, our hearts revealed in faith. Or falling, destruction, judgment. As picture, this is a picture of judgment as our hearts are revealed in rejection. Now God graciously reveals to Mary that her heart too will be broken. Great pain in her soul at the cost of salvation. Now looking at this infant Jesus, could Mary have imagined him going to the cross to become salvation? Now as we look to the cross, can we say with Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now before we move to our final section on God-centered waiting, I want us to notice something in verse 33. Excursus number two. (laughs) Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I don't know about you, but there are times in my ordinary monotony of life, and surprise, my Instagram following probably doesn't know that I have boring life, uh, we get distracted and are preoccupied with problems, with people, with responsibility. Mostly we're preoccupied with ourselves, right? We can find ourselves in that place where the gospel may seem a bit dull. We lose our amazement in the gospel. We get kind of bored. You may have heard it said, or maybe you said this yourself, I'm not really feeling God right now. Or the Bible is kind of just not fair. Or it's not really relevant to my life. Or I'm just not feeling that, you know, this Christian thing is, is meeting me and my my needs. I hear this all the time, and sometimes even from my own head. I hope you know, and I hope I know, that the problem isn't with God being boring, with salvation being dull. The problem actually lies with us. Yes, with our inability to look to Jesus for salvation. Because we refuse to see our sin for what it is. We refuse to see ourselves as sinful and selfish, rejecting God and his word. Perhaps we take the grace and mercy of God for granted. I'm saved. No no need to see salvation once again. Are you able to marvel at what is said about Jesus, who he is and what he has done? If you're struggling with this, and we have times of dryness and dullness and doubt, it's time to confess that. To be honest about it and repent, to turn to Jesus. You and I, we're we're not our salvation. Jesus is. Now as we engage our third and final section, I believe both Simeon and Anna help us to show the practice of godly waiting, which is pretty much the, the practice of life. You're just waiting for something, the next thing, the next thing, right? But I believe they show us the transformation of our expectations. Do your expectations need a bit of transformation? I know mine do pretty much all the time. We're always expecting the next thing, whether it's the next grade, whether it's the next phone call, whether it's the next experience. We expect so much in relationships, in our jobs, in our schools, in our music, in our arts. Wouldn't it be good 
to start seeing some joy in our expectations? How does this practice of God-centered waiting actually transform this to joy? Let's look primarily at Anna and her story. Anna's been faithfully praying and fasting night and day for decades, which is amazing anyways. Anna has been waiting. She's clearly someone who knows how to wait. Okay, just saying this. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having... That's a great way of saying it. It's advanced in years. It sounds really nice. It sounds like something the queen would say. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, Jesus, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. The way that she has been waiting has become the defining faithful rhythm of her life. Worship and prayer and fasting and focus on God. Why would she, why would she do that? <laughs> like church is great and all, but wouldn't it get a bit boring? Perhaps. But perhaps this, we think this because we lack perspective. Both Simeon and Anna, and I would say particularly Anna, with the amount of time she's been faithful, shows us a transformed perspective, a transformed expectation, a transformed model of waiting, of living in the here and now. What we have is kind of a healthy corrective to our own waiting. Now, I dare ask this question, do we even know how to wait? Um, I spent uh, some of the Christmas holidays with some friends uh, on a farm just outside of Ottawa, and they have uh, five really great kids, and two of whom are really annoyingly taller than I am now, which isn't hard, but they are. Uh, One night uh, after we had gone on this hike and were dodging cows and walking over frozen things, it was really cool, uh, we were super hungry, and we made mini pizzas. And who doesn't love mini pizzas, right? Um, But the oven wasn't that big, and so the little kids got their pizzas first. So the 13-year-old, as one of the older kids, had to wait. Um, And he he expressed that waiting. He was like, I want my pizza. And so his dad, a dear friend of mine, faithful Christian guy, said, Son, delayed gratification. (laughs) To which he replied, I hate delayed gratification. Now, we can laugh at him. Oh, 13-year-olds, what does he know? But here's the problem. I hate delayed gratification, too. I hate any delay in getting what I want. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you don't have any problem waiting in line, say, in an airport. Uh, Maybe you don't mind waiting for a package. But you probably do mind it. We live in this very fast-paced culture that demands results immediately. So, like, if your cell phone doesn't work right away, you're like, what's wrong with this thing? But you see, God is not Amazon Prime. And God is not as much concerned with our health and our wealth and our comfort as he is with the state of our souls. Isn't that true? So what does this godly waiting look like? Godly expectation. Verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. 
Yes, she was faithful. And you can imagine being in the same place day after day for decades, and much of her days spent praying. Do you think she was ever bored or feeling a bit dull or tempted to do something else? I'm sure she was. Maybe she had her bad days. Maybe we have our bad days. But here's the, here's the good point. This isn't actually about Anna, but about God. What makes her stand out is actually one thing, and it's Jesus. And you notice this when she meets Jesus, when she meets Jesus, and, and read this with me, Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. That's what she was waiting for. I like what Eugene Peterson says about waiting. <clears throat> waiting does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation or just going, okay, I give up. No, it means going about our assigned tasks Faithfully, just whatever God has faith, given us to do faithfully. Confident that God will provide meeting, the meaning and conclusions. That God is the one who provides the meaning and conclusions. But it's also not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. So it's not doing nothing and it's not trying to do everything and kind of make it look like we're more Christian than we are. It's by faithfully going about our lives. And I think Anna was able to wait in faith because she was seeking God's promises. She was seeking God's promises through his word in the power of his spirit. Looking at Anna for this God-centered waiting... Looking at her, going, well, that's a bit intimidating. Most of us aren't an older Christian lady who's super faithful. Now, you do have several around you who you can turn to and go, how, how do you do this? But for now, most of us just aren't this. It could be a bit intimidating. Let, let me leave you with a practice, a, a discipline that she had that I think helped sustain her faith in God, even in the dull and challenging times. Fasting and prayer. Interesting. She was doing this fasting and prayer. Now Richard Foster in the Celebration of Discipline says this. Fasting must forever center on God. It must be God initiated and God ordained. Like the prophetess Anna, we need to be worshipping with fasting. Every other purpose must be subservient to God. Anna fasted and prayed. She gave up some things like food and her time was spent with God. She was focusing on God and his promises for his glory. And I wonder if you might take some time to fast, maybe give up a meal, to listen to God and his word by his spirit. Now, as Brett has already said, starting on January 3rd through January 9th, and we have this night of worship and prayer coming up, Christ City, as a family, as a community, will take some time to fast and pray. I wonder if you, like Anna, can take some time to fast and pray. So I challenge you to focus on God's word and his purposes rather than our own. Maybe some of the questions we can start asking in prayer 
could be, what promises, God, do you want me to see? How can I spend more time with you this year? Jesus, how do you want me to love and serve you better? What do you want me to give up? How can I love more in your name? There are many other questions, but focusing on God and his promises. Here at the beginning of 2019, don't we need to recenter on God? To be expectant in our waiting. Because it's for God and His glory, but also for your good. And when you start to see salvation of God in Jesus, yes, the grace and the suffering, the love and the mercy of the cross, you can start to be like Anna, truly thankful for what he has done and what he is doing and start to share the good news of salvation with all those around us. And let me end with this. I think through these encounters with Christ, we're encouraged to live a faithful life in in the ordinary, seeking Jesus who is the substance of salvation and redemption of God. And friends, God-centered waiting enables us to persevere And be fruitful even in the dull and difficult times. And practice our faith in the lives of our friends and family and neighbors waiting on God's salvation to come in their lives and to encourage us. Will you stand with me?